If you would please rise for the gospel. Forgive me as I've been talking all day, and so my old throat hurts. Matthew chapter 22. Again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry. And he sent his troops and destroyed these murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there was a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to them, to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to his attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are are chosen. In many and various ways, God spoke to his people of old by the prophets. But now, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. Amen. Please be seated. Um. I'm not sure if I've been clear in my preaching and teaching about kind of the timeline of events of what's to happen. So, you know, Jesus, he died on the cross, he rose from the dead, he ascends into heaven, and then he says, I'm going to return one day, come back, and when he comes, you know, lo, he comes with clouds descending, yeah, come down on a cloud, And, you know, the roofs will be ripped off and every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, the judgment. And then the sheep, not the goats, they'll go with him um, and he'll recreate the new heavens and the new earth. The old things will pass away. But uh, there's this interesting thing that's a common Concept since the Old Testament that we've all, or they've all been looking forward to, and we have been looking forward to too, this thing like a giant banquet on the last day with all the people um, that are the faithful ones. And they're all going to sit around this banquet table and eat fine foods, drink fine wine. And it isn't until the New Testament 
that we begin to see that, and then fully culminated in Revelation, it reveals that this feast that the Hebrews have been looking forward to and the faithful, the Christians, this is actually the wedding feast of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. And it's a wedding feast between Jesus, the groom, and us, the church. And so this is the foundational relationship that Jesus points to, the marriage between Jesus and the church. And this will all culminate in that wedding feast on the last day. Um, What's exciting about this parable, though, that we're talking about from the gospel reading, though it's, you know, it's, I don't know, it's fun. I think you guys liked it. I saw your smiling faces. Um, What I like about it is that we get this unique perspective into the mind and the heart of God the Father. Hear a lot about Jesus. Sometimes we hear a lot about the Holy Spirit, but especially here because it's the Luther Church of the Holy Spirit. We've got the Holy Spirit over there on the window. But it's not always that you hear and you see into the heart of the Father. And the easiest way to bring this up is who here has paid for a wedding? Who has paid for a wedding? Okay. Okay. Who has paid for a child's wedding? Okay, sweet. The rest of us can try to imagine what this is like, paying for a child's wedding. And in bravo to everyone that paid for their own wedding. God bless you. Um, But what it points to is like, what is a parent's major role in this, in this wedding, uh, especially the reception? Um, I guess usually parents these days, they pay for a major portion of the wedding and the wedding feast. And it can be like a point of pride. It can be a, a, you know, a manifestation. You know, if you're a, your love language is being a giver of gifts, then uh, maybe you, know, you give an extravagant wedding for your daughter or something. Um, and, you know, we love you too, guy that's marrying into the, <laughs> you know. But uh, it can also be a way of flexing on other parents, right? Oh, you, uh, you didn't have a limousine for your daughter's wedding? What in the world? Or, oh, you got the chicken? Well, we got the veal and the fish. And there's even a vegan option. Um, we have all seen extravagant weddings as well. Maybe they weren't the ones we threw. Maybe they weren't even ours, but we've seen extravagant weddings. I remember overhearing uh, a young lady talking about her wedding, and she was talking about how, oh, yeah, like, don't even mention it. Like, oh, my dad got uh, a mimosa bar, and for the, for the guys, there was a, a cigar bar, and it was like, oof, extravagant. And um, I don't know. I remember growing up, my mom talking about, when Lady Diana, I think Lady Diana, Lady Di, okay, she had like a 25-foot wedding train, her dress train. Uh, it had actually like thousands of pearls, like real pearls on there. She had a horse-drawn carriage, you know, crazy. Well, sure, parents can show off their riches, but also they can show off the love for their, they have for their, their child in these weddings. And we get a portrait of God the Father being very extravagant with his son's wedding. 
In the parable, the son Jesus is his one and only son with whom he's well pleased. I mean, he's perfect. He always does the right thing. And only the perfect wedding will do for him. And so God the Father slaughters his oxen and his fat calves, um, the most extravagant stuff, as we hear in Isaiah 25 and 55. And, you know, keep in mind, he created this himself, and he prepares it for his guests. Uh, It's awesome food and drink that's unending. It's uh, all for the sake of his love for his chosen people and the covenant that he's made with them and the love he has and the honor he has for his son, who is perfect. And uh, don't forget that they didn't have refrigeration back then. So if you're going to kill the cow, you better be ready to cut up the cow, cook the cow, and eat it all up. So he invites his chosen and beloved people, the Israelites, the, the Hebrews. Uh, he's known and loved them since forever ago, but they don't come. They don't come to his son's wedding, even though he invited. In fact, they tell him, we're too busy, we got to work. And then some of them even kill those messengers that the Lord sent. Now, of course, this is a, um, you know, a parable of talking about how even though God sent his messengers, the prophets, they rejected God's word and ended up killing those prophets, the last of which being John the Baptist, which we heard about on Sunday. Well, imagine buying yourself lots and lots of expensive meat from the deli for your son's wedding. You have it cooked. You open up the old and expensive bottles of wine that can't be recorked. And your old friends and your family don't show up. In fact, they actually say, no, or I'm too busy. I can't make it to your son's wedding. That's the first level of the parable. God at first chose the people Israel to be his people. He set them apart and they were beloved by him. He first invited them to be the part of his kingdom. But when he sent his prophets and preachers to announce to them that the time had come for the wedding feast in John the Baptist, they either said they were too busy or no, They didn't trust God's promise, or they had hardened their hearts, or they didn't repent, or they said, John the Baptist isn't who I expected him to be. And you know what? Jesus also isn't the Messiah I expected him to be. And of course, they end up killing John the Baptist. The fate of most of the prophets in the Bible, uh, the uh, the last one who dies and stays dead, if you will, of those prophets, because Jesus, of course, will be dying because he said things people didn't like, but he'll rise again. So John the Baptist is the last one before Christ to die. The most recent one is any missionary, any pastor in a foreign land, or one uh, here, it doesn't really happen here, um, who is killed for preaching God's word. Uh, All we get here in America is really, you know, no one really gets arrested. Uh, You know, all we really get is 
pastors getting chased out of their church. And so many today are called to God to come to saving faith or even baptized into it, but they end up saying no at some point. They, they drift away as they stop listening to the Lord's voice, they stop reading the scriptures, they stop hearing messages. And the king, God the Father, is so upset with his people, at least in this parable, the people Israel, for forsaking his son's wedding, shaming his son on his special day, that he goes and he does the most gracious and wonderful thing in the history of all things. He invites everyone to the feast. He says, pack the house. Let everyone in. Literally go onto the street and just let random people, let homeless people in. You know, just all these people that you don't want to associate with, whatever, just get them in. We need people to eat the food and drink the wine. We need people to honor my son. The people that I initially invited turned out to be not worthy. And that's where we fit in. Um, We are everyone else. We are the random people off the street, right? We are the people that also aren't worthy. We're brought into God's kingdom by his mercy and grace alone. We're unworthy, yet we're loved. And that's where things get spooky in the story, even though October's long over. I don't even know. Did I do a Halloween sermon this year? I don't know. But like he always does, Jesus makes it up close and personal, and he makes it individual. He's talking about these large groups of people, people brought into the party, all this kinds of stuff. Um, But then he talks about this guy, and he's at the wedding, and God the Father is walking around, and he's like making sure everyone's eating the food, and you like that wine, don't you? Yeah, well, it's really expensive. So, yeah, keep drinking it. You know, like that kind of thing. Making sure everyone's having a good time eating his food. But he notices this one guy isn't wearing his wedding garment. Now, no one really knows what that means, that he wasn't wearing his wedding garment. There's like, there's no historical record of like, oh, you wore a special thing, like a special tunic. There was no, oh, you got something from the host and you're expected to wear it. Really, I just, it just seems that it's like this guy wasn't wearing his Sunday best. He, he wasn't dressed as though he was supposed to be at a wedding. He wasn't honoring the host. All we know is that it offended the king that he wasn't wearing the proper clothes. The person wasn't prepared and fully intent on honoring the father's son, Jesus, on a special day. To not be wearing a wedding garment doesn't mean he didn't do enough good works. No, and we all know that. And it doesn't mean, well, it, it, what it means is he dishonored and disrespected the king. He rejected the father. He rejected the instructions. He rejected his intent to honor his perfect son. And the father will honor his son because his son did really hard work. He gave up his cushy spot as prince of heaven. He became incarnate of this world. He lived a perfect life even though everyone didn't want him to. He healed people. 
He raised people from the dead. He himself died, but was perfect and couldn't stay dead. God declares him righteous after his anger and fire burns against him on the cross. The father raises him from the dead. And now he stands resurrected for those who believe in him, especially for his beautiful bride, his church, who was, you know, like going around kissing other saviors, other gods, other idols. But Jesus forgives her and loves her anyways, accepts her back, washes her clean and puts a new white dress on her. And when he returns, he'll raise you up on the last day. And sure, he'll look for you with your wedding garment on. Did you in your life constantly reject the kingdom of God trying to break into your life? Or did you live each day in joyful thanks, submission, and trust in Jesus that he is your Lord and Savior? It's that simple. If it's the, pre- the previous, I mean, sure, you'll be thrown out. If it's the latter, as we heard described in the Isaiah reading, there will be a beautiful, extravagant meal ready for you. And for now, we partake in that meal, which will happen on the last day in the Last Supper, but it comes through time and space in our worship and comes to us now. Little Advents, in preparation for the last final Advent, the last coming of Jesus on the last day. And in the meantime, as Paul urges us in the reading today for the, from the Ephesians reading, he asks us to just put off the debauchery of this world. Just don't associate with it. Do the will of the Lord. Watch how you walk so that you won't be led astray and lose your wedding garment. I don't want you to walk away from this afraid that you don't have your wedding garment on or you're afraid. Uh, you're afraid you're going to lose it any moment. I want you to walk away knowing that you probably are just wearing it right now. Your wedding garment is your faith in Jesus. I have no doubt in your faith in Jesus because Wendy has shown me your baptismal record on the computer. I know that you are baptized And I hear you proclaiming with your mouth that Jesus is Lord each Sunday. I think if I looked back, you probably did it a few times just in the last 20 minutes. I have no doubt. I just simply want to point you back to your baptism each day. And remember that there is where you were united with Jesus in his death, his resurrection, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you are raised to new life. You are covered with a pure white wedding garment. That is where you receive Christ and you receive him bodily in the supper on Sundays. And never forget that Jesus is always there to relieve your burdened conscience with his gospel words of forgiveness. Amen.